This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. For the, for the scripture reading this morning, would y'all turn with me to Matthew 16? <clears throat> Sixteenth chapter of Matthew. Uh, we'll be there again this morning. We'll read toward the end of the end of the chapter, uh, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. You do want me to stop it? Okay. Yeah, Matthew sixteen twenty-four through twenty-seven. What'd you say? <clears throat> then Jesus said to his disciples, "If anyone desires to come after me," Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before your throne of grace in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm asking, Father, that you bring the truth before us in your word. Bring it home to our hearts. Lord, as David prayed, we ask, Lord, examine our hearts. And if you find any hurtful thing within us, Lord, we pray that you would expose it, remove it, cleanse us, use your word to sanctify us, so that we are continually drawn closer to you and stand in awe of you, continually seek your face, and treasure you. Above all things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> the Word of God, <clears throat> the Bible, um, is inspired. Um, we, we talked about that recently in our Wednesday night study. And what that means, it's, it's God-breathed. The chapter divisions are not. <laughs> and this is one of the places that, uh, that uh, I disagree with those who divided the Bible up in chapters. But that's okay. It's not a big problem. Uh, it's just that sometimes when we're reading... We have to ignore uh, the divisions that they've, they've put here uh, in order to uh, get the sense of it. And so if, if you're wondering, why did we stop in verse 27 instead of going on to verse 28? Because verse 28 um, really needs to be read and, and considered along with the first few verses of chapter 17, uh, which, Lord willing, we will do tonight. And I'll try to explain the, the, the connection there. So... Um, 
in my humble opinion, as I guess as Brother Carl says, you know, um, which which I highly esteem and consider to be correct or something like that. Um, this is the wrong place for a chapter division, but again, uh, it's, it's not a problem as long as we recognize it. And in fact, I'm thankful to those who, who did that so that it makes it easier for us to find things, right? Even if we don't always agree exactly where they fall. Um, last Sunday night, we, we talked about embracing the suffering of Christ uh, in, the, in the verses just prior to this. Remember, Jesus began to teach the disciples concerning His, his death. He's now um, in the final stages, stages of His ministry where He's, he's um, approaching the cross, so to speak. And uh, he's, he's beginning to teach His disciples concerning the necessity of His suffering and death and His resurrection. And they have a hard time coming to terms with that. In fact, he's, here He's rebuked by Peter. In verse 22, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? And, um, that's one of those places that uh, uh, we, we, we can tend to be self-righteous because we, you know, I, I can look at Peter here and go, boy, what audacity, as, as if I've never uh, come up against the Lord in, in, uh, in His ways. But it, it is, when you read it, it's just kind of shocking that Peter would rebuke the Lord. But he does. He takes the Lord aside and begins to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord. In other words, this, this can't happen. This shall not happen to you. And Jesus responds, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, now Jesus exposes a problem in Peter's heart there. And also, the fact that, at, at least at this point, he's... He's uh, in, in his in his rebuke against Jesus. He's he's giving in to temptation here and operating under the influence of Satan, and and Jesus confronts the the heart of the problem. You you don't savor the things of God. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. That's where your heart is. That's what you treasure. That's what you savor. Now that's that's important. Um, to remember that as we move through the next few verses. So there's a, there's a contrast uh, there, or as we often say, uh, a, a conflict uh, in interest there, um, between the things of man and the things of God. Or you, you might frame it this way, eternal things versus temporal things, natural versus the spiritual, and so on. So now we move... Actually, Jesus moves in His reply um, to not only embracing the suffering of, of Him, of Jesus, but now even to embracing the suffering of self. And that's where we're at this morning. Embracing the suffering of self. In verse 24, now there, there's three key words here. What I'm going to do for the, the first point is throw out three questions here to kind of examine, to use, to kind of examine our hearts. And there, the reason I'm doing this in, in uh, these three questions is I'm pulling these words from the passage itself. Um, the three words are these, desire, profit, and reward. 
Except I want to put those in, in question form. And let's just go to verse 24 for starters. Then, then Jesus said to his disciples, and again, remember, this is the continuation of Jesus' rebuke to Peter for his rebuke. Because Peter is mindful of the things of man rather than the things of God. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, We'll find it. Here's the first question. What is it that you desire above all things? What, what do you desire more than anything else? There's different ways of saying that. We, we could say it this way too. What, what matters most to you? But I wanted to use Jesus' word here. He uses the word desire here twice in verse 24 and verse 25. So, what do you desire more than anything? And that really is at the heart of it, isn't it? What, what is it that you will? That's, that's the word there, uh, the Greek word, to, to will, desire. What is it that you, we could say it this way, what is it that you want? What is it that you want above all things? Well, Jesus says this again in response to Peter, because Peter is desiring the wrong things. He's mindful of the things of man rather than the things of God. So Jesus says, look, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he's addressing this, verse 24 says, to his disciples. He's, he's addressing this to these individuals with the assumption that they desire to follow Him. And he's, he's laying down, or laying out, you could say, the cost before them. That is, the requirement for, you desire to follow Me? Here's, here's the requirement. There's a requirement for following Jesus. Or again, to use the, the words of Jesus, we could call it, the cost, right? The cost of discipleship. And I'm getting that from Luke 14, 25, and 25 through 33, where Jesus gives the analogy of uh, a man who's building. And he, he, he first counts the cost. In fact, um, let's, just, let's just go there. Luke um, 14, verse 25. And Jesus gives a couple of scenarios here. Now great, this is Luke fourteen twenty five. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He's, he's laying out a requirement. He's, he's explaining the cost. This, this, by the way, is very interesting in light of the way we often present the gospel today. 
Where, where what we try to do a lot of times is hide all of the cost and try to, try to make sure that everybody understands that basically, if you come, nothing will be required of you. Come just as you are. Well, that, that's, that is true if you understand it correctly, and that's a great song. I'm not knocking the song. Um, but we should be honest as well to tell people that it's going to cost you your life. The road traveled with Jesus is the road to the cross. And we'll get to that in a moment. Again, Luke 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So first of all, he says you you got to hate your father. Well, that's strong language, isn't it? You've got to hate your father and your mother and your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, even your own life, which we see in Matthew or we'll see in a moment. And then he says, if you don't do that, you're not, you, you cannot be my disciple. You're not able to be my disciple. In verse 27, you've you got to bear your cross. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And now he gives the analogies. Verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You see what he's doing? He's, he's warning his hearers, count the cost. If, if, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Go into this with, with right expectations. And then, in verse 31, another analogy. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There again, verse 26, you've got to put me first. You've got to, and that's what he means by, by the word hate. And I don't have a lot of time here to go into that. But the, the word hate there is the idea of love less. He's, he's using hyperbole to, to drive home the point that he must be first. He must be supreme. This is not a contradiction, for example, to... Uh, the commandment to love father and mother. Jesus' point here is we must love them less than we love Him. We must love everybody. Father, mother, um, sister, brother, even your own self, He says here, less than Him. And He says if you're not willing to do that, you're, you're not able to be My disciple. And in verse 27, if you want bear your cross and come after Me, you're not able to be My disciple. And in verse 33, If you don't forsake all that you have, you're not able to be my disciple. There's requirement. There's cost. And this is what he's saying in Matthew 16 as well. He's he's laying out the requirement, the cost. 
So for someone, and here's the implication, for someone to do this, and this gets back to my question, what, what, what do you desire? What do you desire above all? For someone to do this, there must be great desire to follow Him. If anyone desires, if, if anyone wills, if you will to come after Me, if anyone wills to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever desires... To save his life, now he's, he's just giving a little uh, uh, anecdote here to draw the contrast between being mindful of the things of men versus being mindful of the things of God. Verse 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Paradox. And he uses life in two senses there. Uh, whoever desires to save his life, meaning your own, your own life, your own physical well-being, your, your natural life, temporal life, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That is, you will lose your soul. In fact, that is the word for life here, suke, soul. So, so you try to you try to save this life that you know now here in this temporary setting, and you wind up losing your soul. Or if you're willing to lose your life, that is your life here and now, if necessary, father, mother, sister, brother, your own life also. Forsake all that you have, as he says in Luke. If you're willing to lose that life. Here and now, for His sake, then you will gain your life. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is, you'll find true life, eternal life. You lose your life here, you gain your soul, so to speak. Now, let me say this on that also. Notice the, the phrase, for my sake. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's, it's not enough just to bring yourself under some kind of severe, austere lifestyle. There have been a lot, of, a lot of people do that down through the ages. And a lot of different religions do that. You know, some of them hardly eat. And they fast constantly. Pray, at least that's what they call it. They pray constantly. They deny themselves of modern comforts. And again, sometimes it's all in the name of false religion. You know, whether it's some form of Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever it is. Well, how far does that get you in the kingdom of God? Nowhere. So, so it's not just the act itself of, of bringing yourself into some kind of submission, denying yourself uh, of earthly pleasures and so forth. But it is doing those things, and I'll try to come back to that momentarily, but doing, doing those things for His name's sake. Well, let me just say this on it now. It's, it's, those things are the things that He requires, not 
just things that we might come up with. I mean, you can go, uh, you know, sit on top of a pole for the rest of your life. That's been done. And say that you're doing it to the glory of God. The question is, what is Jesus requiring you to do? And that's what he's really getting at. You, you obey him for his name's sake, for his glory. And then in doing that, you save your life rather than lose it. So, what, are you, what do you desire? Do you desire the now life? Comforts, pleasures, um, maybe, maybe um, social position, whatever it is. Uh, do, do, do you des- is that what you desire above all else? Or, or do you desire Jesus? Do you desire to come after? Notice the language. Come after. Anyone who desires to come after me. That is, walk where he walks. Follow him. Go where he goes. Do what he says. To come after would, would not you know, just mean to walk in the same steps, but to be obedient, to be a true disciple, a true follower in the sense that you do what he says to do. So if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, Follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, a paradoxical way, paradoxical way of saying you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. Now, the, the, the question that Jesus is raising by implication is, is do you desire to follow me enough to deny self? Second question, and there's some overlap here, and all these, of course, go hand in hand. But again, I'm I'm trying to employ the words that Jesus uses here in the text. The second question is this: What do you consider profit? Or we could say it this way, because this is what the word profit means. What do you consider gain? I mean, this, this is an, an, a, you know, an accounting term. Profit. Profit as opposed to, or gain as opposed to loss. And Paul uses that same kind of language in Philippians 3. What, what do you consider profit? When, when you look at yourself, when you look at your own life, when you consider... Um, what to do day in and day out? When you consider, let's say, a year down the road, five years down the road, 20 years down the road, if the Lord grants us that, 50 years? What are your goals? And, and again, as I said, these, these go hand in hand. Um, what, what we desire, that's, that's, where, uh, that's where we're going to be. Going, that's what our goals are going to be. That's what we're going to be striving for. That's what we're going to be seeking. What do you consider profit or gain? Now, Jesus um, uses rhetorical questions here to make his point, to further make his point. Verse 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, he's, he's using 
rhetorical questions to um, emphasize what is most important here. In other words, gaining our own soul is more important than gaining the world. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what He's implying. Having eternal life in reality is superior to having a good life here and now. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? If you're mindful of the things of men, if you do like Peter was doing back in verse 22, and you've got a a, a fleshly mindset, mindful of earthly things, the things of men, as we've talked about many times, what, what they're thinking about here in terms of Messiah and the kingdom of God is a material, literal material kingdom where we rule. We, we're, that way we have comfort. That way we have the wealth. That way, if, if there's any oppression, we're going to be the oppressors, not the oppressed. They're looking for our better status in the here and now. And so when Jesus talks about suffering and dying, there's, whoa, this, this can't be. That doesn't jive with our plans at all. What we're looking for here is deliverance from the Romans. We're looking for you to to sit on the throne of David. And for us to have a life of ease and comfort here. A prosperous life here and now. And that's what Jesus is refuting. Whoever desires to save his life here and now will lose it. Or, verse 26, what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And isn't it interesting that Jesus does seem to make it an either or, doesn't He? You, I mean, you would think He would just kind of... And sometimes this is the way the Gospel is presented in our day. But He would kind of calm their anxieties this way and say, look... It's, it's going to be both. It's going to be both and just, just relax. You're going to have eternal life and you're going to have ease and comfort and prosperity here and now also. So just relax. That's not what he says. He's, he's giving some credence to their, their fears about him suffering and dying because he's not going the direction that they're thinking he should go. Basically saying, you're right, this is not playing out the way that y'all want it to. There is a different plan here than what you have in mind, but here's the deal. What would you rather have? The here and now or eternity? Which one do you consider to be profit? Which one do you consider to be gain? To gain the whole world? To have peace in this world? To have comfort? Or to have eternal life. What does a man really profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is worth that? What is worth trading for eternity? The third question is, what do you consider Reward. What do you consider reward? Now, 
So look at verse 26 again for a minute. And all three of these, verse 25, 26, and 27, start with this word for, uh, F-O-R, gar in the Greek, um, because it's furthering the explanation, or sometimes it can be like a, a uh, you know, with this in mind, because of this, something like that. So here, he says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Or we can even go back to verse 24, where he's telling him straight up, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For, verse 27... In other words, there's a reason these things are so. There's a reason it's better to deny yourself here and now. To There's a reason that it's better to give up the here and now in favor of eternity. For, verse 27, the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. And then He will reward each according to His works. Now, Jesus is saying, basically, get the right perspective here and now because there are eternal consequences. Because the Son of Man is coming. Judgment Day is coming. There is, there is a day coming when the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels and He will reward. Now, he's juxtaposing that reward which the Son of Man will bring, will give at that day with the reward that you can have here and now. And he's asking basically, by implication, he's asking, which one do you want? You can save your life here and now. You can live selfishly instead of selflessly and have your reward here and lose your life in eternity and lose your eternal reward. What do you desire above all else? What do you consider profit or gain? What do you consider Reward. Would it, would it be defined by success in this life? And I'm not necessarily talking about being a Bill Gates or something like that. For most of us, we would define it differently. Uh, that, you know, success in this life, we, um, most of us don't think in terms of becoming a, a millionaire or, or, or billionaire uh, as, as that being realistic. But we do, don't we, think in terms of, again, things like comfort, ease, security, our stability, reputation, temporal relationships. Well, what's, what's wrong with those things? What's wrong with wanting to be liked by other people? What's wrong with wanting to be esteemed? What's wrong with wanting to be comfortable? Well, 
Not necessarily something wrong with all of those things. Some of of them are wrong by nature. Some of them not. But they all become wrong if that's where our heart is. If that's our reward. If we place those things above our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so those things become our reward. And it's like the Pharisees. How often did Jesus say about the Pharisees, they have their reward? What was He saying? That's, that's not a promise of eternal life for them. Oh, don't worry about them. They have their reward. I'm okay. You're okay. They're okay. Everybody's okay. Just, just relax. They've got their reward. That's not what He was saying. What He was saying is, what they consider reward, what their heart is after, what they're seeking, what they're pursuing... It's all about the here and now. It's all about this life. It's all about the temporal. It's all about selfish desires to be highly esteemed by their peers. They would even, according to Jesus, they would even carry out their religious duty so that, in a fashion, so that they may be seen by men. And that's what Jesus was saying. That's their reward. That's the reward they're seeking, and they've got it. And he's and by implication, what he's saying, that's it. I mean they've got it. They got it here now, and that's it. That's all they're going to get. Because again, it's an either or. It's not it's not both and. You you have reward here and now, or you have reward in eternity. Which one do you consider reward? Which one do I consider reward? The pleasures and comforts of this life or an eternity with Christ. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father, with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. That's an exhortation. That's an exhortation to seek the right... And warning. That's a warning and an exhortation to seek the right reward. Even if it means... And of course it does. But even if it means denying self... Even if it means losing your life here and now. Even if it means, like Jesus said in Luke 14, forsaking all that you have and living for the glory of God. So those are the questions. What do you consider, or or what do you desire, rather? What do you desire above all else? What's the most important thing to you? And we could spend more time on that, fleshing that out by saying that is evidenced in our life by where we spend our time, money, etc. But we don't have time to go there this morning, except just to mention it. Secondly, again, what do you consider profit or gain? Life here or the life 
to come with Christ. And what do you consider reward? Again, what you can get here or life with Christ. Now, let me just go back for a minute because now that we've kind of got the heart of what Jesus is saying here and and talk just a minute about the cross because that's an interesting statement, isn't it? If anyone desires, verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We kind of got that because that's what we've been talking about. But then he gives an, an example of that and it's extreme and frankly, um, just because of the, the familiarity we have with the cross, we don't get the full effect. I think when he said this to his disciples, um, it, it would have been shocking to say the least. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and, and Luke adds the word daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. So we know that taking up your cross has something to do with losing your life, right? Because that's how Jesus explains it. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For, it's another explanatory, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, taking up your cross, denying self, taking up your cross equals... Losing your life for Jesus' sake. The cross, I know I'm probably kind of stating the obvious here, but I think it's worth mentioning. The cross was not a piece of jewelry. Jesus' day, and I'm not so sure it should be today. And I mean, it, it just, somebody gave Jordan one the other day, and it just makes me uncomfortable, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that there's not a cross in here behind me. Is there? I don't think there is. <laughs> Why? Well, several reasons, some of which is just because of the way it's been used down through the ages. But it, 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 the cross is not a pretty thing. It's not intended to be. When Jesus talks about the cross and is going to the cross, and when Paul talks about the cross in the epistles, and even, even the concept of embracing the cross, we're not, we're not talking about l- loving a piece of wood and thinking, my, how beautiful that is and, and adorning ourselves with them. And by the way, I'm not, you know, if, if, if you wear crosses, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, give any kind of legalistic thing here. I'm just saying, I just want us to think about it, that's all. Just, just understand when we do it that it didn't always, it, it wasn't always thought of in that way. Now, if somebody does it today and they say, well, it helps me, you know, Think about Jesus. Okay. But that's not what they would have thought at that time. It's an instrument of death. It's an instrument of death. So Jesus says, take up your cross. If you're going to follow Me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. And it wasn't like these guys you see today pulling them around with, and they got little wheels on the back of them, you know, and they pull them around. It, no. 
They, they knew what a cross was. It was, it was a very, very familiar object in first century Jewish culture, Roman culture. It meant shame. It meant death. It's the way the worst, most hardened criminals were executed. It's the equivalent, you know, today of saying, take up your electric chair and come after me. Take, take up your lethal syringe and come after me. Take up your hangman's noose and come after me. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? And those don't paint pretty pictures in your mind. It's an instrument of death, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You must die. If anyone desires, if you've got the will to come after me, then you must die. Take up your cross. Death to self is what's represented there. And follow me. Follow, follow Him because that's what He did. He took up His cross. He died for us. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose it, that is, if you deny yourself, if you take up your cross, if you embrace the death penalty for self, you will gain eternal life. If you embrace self-denial and even suffering if necessary in this life, for Jesus' sake, again, we're not just talking about the, you know, the things themselves earning our way to heaven. They don't. Plenty of other religions and, you know, anti-gospel movements where they do those kinds of things. It's, it's, it's not, you know, afflicting the body that gains you some kind of righteousness. That doesn't work that way. But Jesus is saying simply, or maybe not so simply, but He's saying emphatically, He must be first. That we have to live for Him every moment of our life. We've got to be willing to deny self, lay self aside, lay selfish desires aside, and put Christ first in every incident that we come up against, in every moment. Jesus has to be supreme. We must be mindful of the things of God. Well, I really wanted to give a lot of examples here. Let me, let me just, time is not with us, not on my side. Let me just mention a couple. You, you know some of the scriptural ones. Uh, these men, of course, they, they're not doing a good job of self-denial a lot of times here in the gospel. But, oh, man, you, you go to Acts 2 and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, they are denying self, living for the glory of God, forsaking all and carrying the gospel to the world. Peter himself, we know, according to tradition, it's not recorded in Scripture, but he was, according to tradition, he was crucified upside down 
for the sake of Christ. That is, in the name of Christ. He lived out, and the rest of these men too, what Jesus was talking about here. <clears throat> You've heard me mention Polycarp before, the Bishop of Smyrna, in, uh, Bishop of Smyrna in, in the second century, was apprehended. In those days in the Roman Empire, they, the Christians were called, and this was the offense, the, the Christians were called atheists because Christians refused to worship, recognize and worship the gods of the Romans. And so the Romans considered Christians to be atheists. And so they were consequently charged and, and uh, sometimes put to death. Bishop of Smyrna was 86 years old when he was apprehended and he was charged by the, uh, by the Roman proconsul to deny Christ, was commanded to reproach Christ in, a, in an arena uh, setting, a crowd of people. Polycarp's answer was this, Eighty, Eighty and six years I have served him and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my King who has saved me? Polycarp was consequently burned alive at the stake. Justin, um, a native of uh, Neapolis in Samaria, was born in 103 A.D. Think about how close that is to the time of Christ. He was trained in philosophy, but didn't find any real spiritual satisfaction there, of course. Eventually, he was saved. He converted to Christianity at the age of 30. He and six of his companions, after refusing to sacrifice to pagan idols, were beheaded. Both of those executions and that persecution was under the rule of Marcus Aurelius, Roman emperor. William Tyndale, you may, and I'm fast forwarding to the 1500s here, but um, William Tyndale, uh, some of you remember when we showed the movie about Tyndale. Tyndale was burned at the stake. He was a young man, burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. That was his crime. He was, he was um, you know, an astounding Greek uh, scholar. David Livingston, some of you heard of David Livingston, spent a great deal of his life in Africa getting the gospel out to the indigenous people there. I want to read a little quote from David Livingston one time when he was asked about his sacrifice, giving up his life like we're talking about here. December the 4th, 1857, David Livingston, the great pioneer missionary to Africa, made a stirring appeal to the students of Cambridge University. Here's what he said about his sacrifice. For on my part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in helpful activity? the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? 
Away with the word. Talking about the word sacrifice. Away with the word in such a view. And with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, is it a privilege? Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But, that's, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us. I have never made a sacrifice, said David, David Livingston. Hmm. David Brainerd died a young man trying to reach Native Americans in the colonies here in the United States before it really was the United States. Adoniram Judson, much hardship, many years in Burma, many years without seeing evident fruit. Horatio Spafford, many of you are familiar with his story. And this is more of a uh, not more of a, not not so much a story of persecution, but of suffering, losing his children on a, a voyage to London, and uh, subsequent to that, wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Another story of such suffering, you've heard the song, uh, Precious Lord, the old uh, gospel spiritual song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, Lead Me On, Let Me Stand, penned by Tommy Dorsey. I didn't know that until just this past week, uh, the famed uh, you know, blues musician. Uh, in the 1930s, when his wife died in childbirth, and upon receiving the news, he rushed home. And he was a believer. And upon receiving the news, he rushed home. And his baby lasted a week or so and died also. And in his grief, he sat down and wrote that song, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Charles Spurgeon says, the terms are not altered in these days. You know, we can consider the disciples, we can consider uh, the men like we just spoke of throughout church history, but it's different now, right? No. Charles Spurgeon said, the terms are not altered in these days. Do we accept them? Can we keep step in the long procession of cross carriers? Or will we fall in with the spirit of the age and say fine things about Jesus while we deny His substitutionary sacrifice and shirk the personal self-denial which He demands? One last word here. Most of us, all of us, I suppose, have not faced any kind of serious persecution. But we do suffer to different degrees. Some people with illnesses, some people with other afflictions. Most people in this room probably are not... um, called to go out and do public speaking and that kind of thing. You know, go to Africa or whatever. Some of you may be. I don't know, but probably most are not. 
So how does it apply when you think of forsaking all? Hating or loving less father, mother, family, your own life also. What does it mean? It means you've got to quit your job, sell all your possessions. Well, the quick answer is this. It means Christ must be supreme in your life. It means you must walk in obedience to Him, whatever He demands. He may demand that you quit your job and go to Africa. He may demand that you stay on your job and work for the glory of God. It just means that He must be supreme in every context, in every aspect of life. So in other words, it's doable where you are. And in every vocation. Unless you're involved in something that's morally wrong. I mean, you can't be a Christian drug dealer, okay? Or Christian prostitute or something like that. Myself, when, when the Lord saved me, I was working uh, in, in honky-tonks, you know, the bars. And um, uh, that seemed to me, and, and, and it didn't, <laughs> this thinking didn't come instantaneously, <laughs> but, but that seemed to me to be immoral because of the, the whole surrounding, and I couldn't continue it. The Lord did let me know immediately that I couldn't continue it, but I didn't understand why that was fully. That took some time, um, and it would take some time to explain it now. But, but that vocation seemed to me to be morally wrong. But unless you're involved in something morally wrong, you can do everything Jesus is demanding here right where you are. You can handle your finances, spend your money for the glory of God instead of for self. You can interact in relationships for the glory of God instead of for what self can get. You can even, Paul says, eat and drink and do all things for the glory of God. What is it that you desire? What is it that you think of as profit? What is it that you consider reward? The things of this life, the things of man, are the things of God. Eternity with Christ. Are you living as verse 27 teaches us here? Are you living with the judgment and the coming of Christ and eternity with Him in view. And is that impacting every moment, every aspect of your life? Would you stand, please? May the Lord make it so that Everyone here, that He is supreme in our affections. We love Him more than, more than everything, more than anything this world has to offer, more than everything. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. 
Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.